everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters, where two classy guys argue over smart finances while one drinks butter-flavored coffee and the other drinks from a magic bullet. You can't get any more hipster than that. My name is Matt, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And uh, Are you drinking uh, your Nutribullet this morning? Yeah, just polishing, just polishing it off. <laughs> and I'm drinking my butter-flavored coffee this morning. So I guess the catchphrase was pretty spot on. Yeah, and it was pretty long too, but that's <laughs> it's fine. Damn long. I yeah. like I like it long. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, oh jeez, that's what she oh, said. Oh jeez. Oh no. Before we get started, guys, if you have any questions about personal finance, you know who to email us. It's listedmoneymatters at gmail and we want submissions for catchphrases. Our super long ass catchphrase at the beginning of the show was sent to us by Robbie Farlow, who's actually been on the show before. So thank you, Robbie, and he can send those. Via Twitter, which would be much shorter than the one Robbie sent, it's at Money Matters Man, and we really want to hear from you guys. So today we are we got a guest on the show, and it's a better know a millionaire guest. His name is Brenton Hayden, who began his company Renters Warehouse at age twenty. The company is one of the largest property management companies in America. He also promised himself that he would retire by twenty seven years old with seven million dollars in uh, after taxes. He reached that goal. And he also surpassed that goal. Brenton, how are you this morning? I'm, uh, I'm still rich, uh, man. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still kicking it, yeah. So are you drinking anything this morning? I am. Uh, I got my, uh, my daily dose of the Keurig machine working overtime. Uh, nice. French vanilla uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Excellent, yeah. I used to drink that all the time. Love that. Got to add a little more cream. Uh, I like my cream like I like my women, uh, white and hot. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I like my coffee like I like my women, hot, black, and strong. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So, I want to talk a little bit about Renters Warehouse. What is Renters Warehouse? How did you get in this business at 20 years old? Um, I was a real estate agent, actually. Okay. Uh, But prior to that, I was uh, I was a cookie and cracker salesman. So inside of a year, I did a big kind of career change from being uh, selling cookies and crackers and Nutrigrain bars for a for a little company called Kellogg's. Oh. And they, that was a that was a great company, a great job, but um, after a corporate layoff, I was making really good money at a very young age. And I wanted to make the same money again. And somebody told me around 2005 the only way to really do that as a young man was to get into the real estate business. Mm. And so that's what I did. Um, I started out with one of the top real estate brokers in Minnesota. Um, I learned the business through him uh, for about six months as a buyer's agent. Okay. And uh, as a buyer's agent, I was getting a lot of requests to help property owners to rent their properties and a lot of requests from tenants to help them find rental properties. And I really, you know, I wanted to be helpful. I wanted to preserve that relationship, but I couldn't find anyone to refer them to that would really bring any value, uh, do them any justice or service. And so I went to my broker and I said, listen, we should be doing this. Uh, We should be helping people rent and manage the real estate on top of it. I get a Mm -hmm. lot of requests. Well, he didn't, he disagreed. He said, focus on the, you know, the bigger prize here, which is selling real estate. And granted, 2005, that was what was hot then. Yeah. Uh, He decided to go out on his own and uh, he called me into his office. I was one of his top performing agents. Uh, Even though I'd only been there about six months, I was really kicking butt for him. And he he says this to me in, in, in no short of words, Brenton, you're too entrepreneurial. You're fired. And it took, me completely by surprise. Um, and he says, you're, you're not going to be around long and I feel like I'm training my competition. Um, so for that reason, you should go out on your own and I'm going to go out on my own and we'll see you in the playing field. So that's what we did. Huh. 
I went and started my own company where I began helping people to not only buy and sell, but to rent and manage. This was in uh, late 2006 by the time I did that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was working great. Then the real estate market collapsed, as we know it, in, in late 2006. And I decided at that point, we're going to stay the hell with buying and selling. We're going to focus only on renting and managing. And September 2007, I formed Renters Warehouse. And now we're the second largest professional landlord in the United States. And you were 20 years old. I was 21. Uh, 21. 21 when I started Renters Warehouse. 20 when I started a company kind of like Renters Warehouse, but then we changed our name. Uh, it was it was less of a real estate business, more of a property management business in 2007. How did you get a job at Kellogg so early? Um, you know, when I was a kid, the only way to make any real money was to work in the grocery business in Minnesota. Oh. Uh, it's a union job. I was getting twelve to fourteen dollars an hour as you know a sixteen year old uh, stock and shelves, and that was good money. Plus, I had health insurance and all that. Um, so I was eventually worked my way up at a premium grocery chain here in Minnesota called Lunds and Byerly's. And I was the evening uh, grocery manager. Uh, and from there, I got to know the Kellogg sales reps and all the different vendors that come in. Uh, See, Kellogg's is unique in, in the sense that they actually come into the store, order uh, the product for the shelves, put it on the shelves so the store doesn't have to. And that's an added value for the store. Right. Um, that's what I did. I got to meet those guys. They hired me at first to be uh, kind of a shelf fluffer. My job was to go into stores. <laughs> <laughs> worked overstock and and uh, face the face the boxes. Right, right, right. And, uh, I worked for a guy in my local area, and and uh, he told me about a job opening. I applied for it. It was it wasn't much at first. It was uh, the worst territory they had in the state. Mm -hmm. But I got a company car, a salary, and an opportunity to make some commission off every cookie and cracker sold. I took that territory, the worst in the state. I made it the number one in the nation inside of first year. Nice. Set all kinds of company records and became Kellogg's rookie of the year. Uh, and was making uh, close to $100,000 when I thought I was only going to make about forty. dollars Whoa. Because I was good at it. Um, that was my first sales job. I never did sold or did any sales before that. And I realized I liked sales. I liked commission. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I enjoyed uh, just kind of... Uh, doing business deals because at the end of the day, that's all I got to do. I'd, I'd go to a grocery store manager and say, you know, how can I get you to take more of my product or how can I get more shelf space or we got this special on Cheez-Its. How can I get the front entryway so we can blow them out of here? And yeah. I had to negotiate deals and negotiate pricing and get extra space. And it was just a lot of fun to have kind of mini battles you had to win weekly to hit your sales goals. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to assume you didn't go to college or did you? I did not. Well, uh, I've done a whole lot of partial college. Um, right out of high school, I went to the police academy. Uh, and when I say a whole lot, I'm being sarcastic. I did <laughs> nine days in the police academy. All right. Before I took that job at Kellogg's. Um, and then about 24, um, my business was kicking ass. Uh, we started making a few million dollars a year. And I decided I enrolled at MIT in their executive education program, mm -hmm. and I took their entrepreneurial development course there. Uh, and then later, uh, I went to uh, Harvard Business School and went to their executive education center and did a real estate management uh, a course there as well. So I've had uh, I've had about uh, you know four months of college. Did any of that help? Yes. Uh, MIT was profound. It was amazing. It was, when I went there, I had one mission. Uh, I, my business was growing at an alarming rate. It was outpacing my experience. 
Uh, I was starting to feel inadequate as the company's leader. And so I wanted to go there to either uh, learn how to let go of my business or to um, educate myself to, so I could go back and, and be more empowered to run my business. Mm-hmm. Well, I came back with more knowledge, more power, and uh, I, I, I feel adequate and was adequate. I was an adequate leader after that. Now, MIT, you're being taught by people who've been there, done that before. Yeah. That's why I loved it. Um, it's not a university. It's an institute. So they do things a little different. Um, and then Harvard was just, you know, Harvard was great. Let's, let's not get it twisted. It's an amazing school. And anybody that goes from there uh, knows, knows the rigorous uh, uh, education platform they have. But what I didn't like is I, I didn't relate to them well because they're mostly professional professors. And nonetheless, some of the best in the world, but not a lot of them have a lot of real-world experience. And MIT, I love that because the guy teaching the class on uh, investing in businesses is probably the single largest investor of businesses in the world. Uh, you know, he had like $162 billion under management. He's, he has one of the largest private equity groups in the world, um, and he's the professor. That's a guy I like to learn from. Right. Let's talk about where you are today. So, how old are you now? I'm 28. You're 20. Oh, sorry, sorry, 29 now. So March. you are you are Andrew's age and a year younger than me. <laughs> Getting and old. It, it, make, it makes me sick to think about that. Uh, yeah. So how? So you, you mentioned that you wanted to retire at 27. Are you retired? Yeah, uh, I retired a little late. Um, I was seven months past my 27th birthday um, before I was able to retire. And you know, frankly. I should have retired at 27. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. I thought about it on my 28th birthday. My goal was to retire when I turned 28 on my 27th or my 28th birthday. Right. And um, I didn't think about it much. And my business was, we, we had a lot of things going on at the time. But I eventually went on a two-week vacation to the Virgin Islands uh, with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there sneaking out of the, the hotel to crank some emails out for work. And I got busted. Uh, she busted me. Was, what are you doing? We're on vacation. You're working. And uh, she started grilling me. You told me you were going to turn your 27. You told me when you had 7 million, you quit. You got all these great executives. You, you, you made more money than you wanted. And you're now 28. What's the deal? You just talking or what? And she put my foot to the fire. Huh. And I got to thinking, I said, well, why haven't I quit? And I, and I found out I was scared. Um, I was, I, I had reached my goal. I really didn't. I'm kind of one of those guys that sets goals but don't really get excited. But I stay motivated, but um, I'm kind of a pessimist. I don't, uh, I don't, I, I believe in the goals, but I, I, I'll believe in them when I actually hit them. And yeah, so yeah. I was kind of in denial when I hit it, uh, huh. and I, I didn't know what it was. But I found out I was scared. I was scared to let my business go. Um, I was scared to let somebody else run it. I was scared to. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself when I didn't have you know 15 hours a day dedicated already. And so I did. I came back, and within two months, I quit. Um, and I've empowered a CEO to run my business. Uh, I recruited a CMO, a CFO, a CTO, the COO, and I recruited a whole gang of executives to take over and run my business. I've implemented a system called Traction, which allows me to keep my finger on the pulse of my business while being an absentee owner. And uh, so, rank, frankly, about most days Monday, I, I wake up, and I take a look at what I call our scorecard. Uh, rock review, mm-hmm. and uh, I can tell at any given time the health of my business because I have access to all the major key metrics. And you're still collecting from this? 
Oh yeah, I still own the business. I get unsolicited offers to buy it all the time. But cool. um, what's the point? Um, until my the, the number is great enough, uh, it, the cash flow off the business, the value of the business, the opportunity the business has, there's just no great reason to sell at the moment. In fact, mm. uh, it makes more sense to hold. So I'm holding it. So do you have any investment strategies outside of the business that you use to grow the money that you have? Absolutely. Um, I play around in the stock market. I'm somewhat of an amateur day trader. Okay, so and, you do it personally. You don't have a guy doing it for you or a yeah, company. Yeah, and I don't think you need to unless you know, unless it's really something you, you, you can't get behind or you, you don't know much about. But day trading isn't all that complicated. Sure, it could be more complicated. But I'm a trend, uh, I'm a trend trader. Hmm. Um, there's a, a strategy I've always used is I buy the news feeds um, overnight. So um, I know the news that's coming out in the morning. And I know that the stock market is very reactionary. If Toyota's going to have a headline in the you know, Wall Street Journal about a recall on you know, Toyota Camrys, I'm just saying, not that this is an example, but I know that Toyota stock is going to drop tomorrow. Right. And as a result, I'm going to short that stock. Or if I see something that's great, I'm going to buy that stock. Or um, I'll get into companies like uh, I've been investing in a lot of the marijuana businesses that are being publicly traded. It's kind of very, very trendy. And if you catch them at the right time, you can make a huge spread. Wait, there's marijuana businesses that are publicly traded? Yeah, there's uh, marijuana is legal in two states recreationally in the United States. Uh, 22 other states are working on it. There's medicinal marijuana businesses. And there are several um, uh publicly traded marijuana businesses, one of which I think is um, in some trouble now, but I, I made a killing on it at first, was a real estate REIT that bought industrial space to rent to marijuana growers. Because imagine that. If you're a marijuana oh. grower, try finding a landlord. Nobody yeah, wants you need to space. yeah, and you need space for that. So this REIT really was very successful. Something about their financial reporting got them in trouble, but I was out by then. But I made 400% in about four months on that investment. <laughs> Wow. I'm sorry. I, I, I really did not know that marijuana companies were publicly traded. Yeah. I, mean, I knew they were out there. I just they're, you know, dude, they're really uh they're really not trading at any real numbers, meaning they're trading at very inflated numbers. Okay. Um and you have I would not recommend the unsophisticated trader to trade in this area. Um because everything that goes against, you know, principal trading is just it's not there, but what what I believed in is that as more hype got around this, as more states legalized this, there's no question about it. People are going to be reacting to those news. They're going to try and look for that opportunity as I was. I was just earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, and frankly, anytime I'd find ten or twenty percent, I'd take it. Um, except this REIT, I held on um, a good a good while longer um, because I was in contact with the CEO. I knew they had a lot of press. Wow. Uh, coming out, and I knew that press uh, with a sm- with a small capitalization stock is going to drive up volume, and volume is going to increase the price. So, what do you use to invest? Like, do you use E Trade or? I'm know? a Scotch Trade guy. I like the seven dollar flat fee trades. Uh, they got great systems. Uh, so, uh, Scotch Trade's my favorite. Scotch Trade is what you use. Yep. Uh, do you manage your investments with any other software, like Personal Capital or or anything? No, I'm a. I keep QuickBooks. You know, I keep my own personal finances through QuickBooks, okay. and I hire a bookkeeper that manages my finances. Um, keeps me in the know of what I'm spending and on what. Mm-hmm. Um, I also invest in real estate. Um, I buy apartment buildings, single-family homes to rent. Um, you know, after all, I'm in the business. I have a management company. Uh, it makes yeah. it very synergistic. Uh, for example, I just bought an eight-unit um, apartment building 
in my uh, my hometown. Uh, I buy businesses as well, uh, or I invest in entrepreneurial businesses uh, as an angel investor. Mm-hmm. I'm a small angel investor. I do anything from zero to one hundred thousand dollar investments into seed stage companies. Um, you got to have a product that's finished. You got to have some traction. You got to be a capable CEO. And I generally like to invest in guys that are twenty seven and under. All right, so you're so you're doing the investment stuff. You clearly have that under control. You're doing it yourself, which is good. You're not using a company. Yeah. Um, and you you said that you should be able to do it yourself, right? You, I mean, do you do you have anything against uh, no. investing guys? No, no. There, you know, there's a guy that I work with on more sophisticated stuff. Um, you know, the more stabilized stuff, I don't really get mutual funds. Um, 401k IRA. I don't I don't really have time to play keep up with that too much. Um, I do manage my own 401k, but um, life insurance, different investments like that. Mm-hmm. See, when I made my uh, when I made my wealth in short in a short amount of time, the first things I did, I started, I paid off all debt in my life. Uh, and when I paid off all debt, then I then I prepaid the rest of my life. Essentially, I, I fully funded my 401k. I fully funded my life insurance, and mm-hmm. so uh, I'll never be broke. I have a permanent retirement. Right. And that's what I took originally that seven million bucks and put that all into my retirement. And the rest of the money I made, that's the money I'm buying real estate with. That's the money I'm buying fun things with. That's the money I'm putting in the stock market. Right. So when you say fun things, like your personal life, are you a frugal guy? Uh, I would not say I'm a frugal guy. Because we've talked to millionaires who are very frugal. I'm just shy of flashy. Just sh- all right. So you're, you're okay. I got you. So, <laughs> so, and, so what kind of car do you drive? I got a lot of cars. I think I read a post about how you had owned seven cars. I did throughout my life. I have five right now. Um, I I didn't own all seven at once. Okay. (laughs) I have have five right now, and I would have more if I had a bigger garage. My wife would let me. I'm a car enthusiast. What's your favorite one? Uh, My Rolls-Royce Phantom. Mm. So are these like... Cla- do you have classic cars or are these like newer cars, newer luxury cars? Uh, I am a modern. I love modern contemporary homes and I love modern mm-hmm. uh, technology. So most of my cars are new ex- with the exception of, and today is a big day, um, I'm building a race car and I'm going to become an amateur racer as a hobby. Wow. Uh, I'm joining this a racing association called the Sports Car Club Association, which has two races a year. It's for the very entry-level racer um, performance racing uh, school and uh, I built it's for uh, tuner cars, and I've always kind of loved. I've always liked big muscle. Like uh, my Bentley was a twelve cylinder, my Rolls Royce is a twelve cylinder. I want big muscle, but um, I built a nineteen ninety six Nissan Skyline to have about eight hundred horsepower uh, <laughs> with nitrous, nitrous injection, and I spent uh, about sixty thousand dollars on the engine, and, and I get it back today oh uh, this evening, and I, and I haven't driven it. It's been being built since January. And today, I get to go rip it up on, on the streets. As small as that car is, you might actually take off the ground. It, if you it just... actually has traction problems. We had to put bigger, wider tires on the back. Um, it, you know, the, the hardest challenge of that car and is, is you know, keeping it straight and keeping it on the road. It's got so much horsepower. In fact, I had to scale it down a bit. I only have a, a 100 horsepower shot of Nas in it, and I can take it up to 250 if I wanted to. So, I mean... You have five cars, so you have, a, a, I guess, a big garage, which I'm assuming means you have a, a big house. Is it just you and your wife, or do you have uh, kids? No kids, just me and my wife. Uh, married five years now in April. Okay, uh, cool. No, no plans to have kids anytime soon. We're, 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 we're traveling the world. We're having a lot of fun, and 
And uh, we've never really, and the Hayden family is kind of small in that sense that um, not a lot of the, um, my family members have kids. They're, they're all kind of busy and, and taking care of themselves right now. Right. And you're, and you're, uh, do you guys cook in the house? Do you have, uh, yes. okay. So you do all your own cooking and stuff. My wife stays home. She uh, she retired a year before I did. She was my former CFO. Okay. Um, and then I replaced her along the way of recruiting executives to get us out of the business. Um, so she stays home, um, and um, she's a hell of a cook. So she's been cooking most of the time. Cool. So you don't have a, a, a you have maids that come in and do no, that stuff, um, or a chef, I guess. No, maybe. frankly, uh, uh, I don't have like a live-in maid or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, I used to, before my wife stayed home, we had, you know, a cleaner and, uh, sure. we had a chef that would come over, cook you a week's worth of meals, vacuum seal it, and then you just boiled it to, uh, to temp. Right. Um, we used to work 15 hours a day. So we'd come home at eight, nine o'clock and we'd cook ourselves a horse shit meal because <laughs> we wanted something quick. Yeah. Um, so we hired a chef to come on Mondays, cook us a week's worth of meals and then we'd just heat something like that up. Uh, what's the worst thing about being a millionaire? Taxes. <laughs> try and try paying in 54 percent of whatever you earn to the government 54 that's my tax bracket wow it's the highest tax bracket and i live in the second highest tax state other than california that's the worst thing yep and I, but you're not I keep less money than the government gets for every dollar i make i i get to keep 46 cents at the end of the day of every dollar i make the other 54 percent goes to the government yeah that's uh that sucks Maybe you're not you're not the one paying those. You got a guy doing that. No, I still I, I have a I have a small accountant that does my my tax returns. My tax returns are are not that complicated um, because um, I trade all through one place in Scott Trade. So Scott Trade makes it easy to just report my investments and mm-hmm. my investments are rather stabilized and fixed. So those are easy to report. And my income is mainly salary distribution and profit sharing. So my tax return now is. Um, you know, it doesn't. It's not a crazy tax return where it's hard to do. But I have to pay in quarterly um, because of my income. Right. So they don't let you pay at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You have to pay all uh, quarterly, and and so by the end of the year, it's you know you don't feel as much. You're not writing one giant check. Instead, you're writing a bunch of large checks. <laughs> right. And and yeah. how? Do, I mean, you went from making what was it forty thousand for Kellogg's to there. Yep. Yeah. But Prior to that, I was making fourteen bucks an hour in the grocery business. I, I really never had a an in, a, mid, a middle of the road job. I went from fourteen dollars an hour to a hundred grand a year to being a millionaire. I've been pretty fortunate. And so, have you had any failures along the way? Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of businesses I tried to spin off while I was running my main business mm-hmm. um, were never as, as successful. I learned a lot about that. Um, I've had a couple investments in businesses that I made. I bought an HVAC company on bankruptcy with a business partner, and we failed uh, pretty miserably on that. Um, I wanted to complement our property management company with an HVAC company. Um, big failure. Uh, I've had um, well, now the other businesses they just weren't they were they weren't given enough time yeah. and resources to succeed. Now that I'm out of the way. And um, I've empowered others to kind of take over those smaller businesses and kick them into overdrive, and they're doing much better now. So I, I have five other businesses that um, are also, in addition to Renters Warehouse, that I've empowered other people to run that have great potential as well to be multi-million dollar businesses as well. So you've had failures, not you're not. Yeah, oh yeah, um, okay. yeah. You, you, you know what's? 
you don't really learn much from failures other than what not to do again because how valuable is that but um i look at i I don't always try to be i'm not a i'm not a steve jobs i don't know what people need before they even know they need it Mm -hmm. um what i try to do is i try to create something better i like to uh, improve on something so when i went into property management i looked at the property management industry and it was boring it had zero value proposition Nobody was, it was a 20, when I got into it, it was a $30 billion a year industry, yet the biggest company was a $10 million company. Um, so it's very fragmented. So I look for things like that and say, I can do that better. And so most of the businesses I'm doing, I'm not the innovator. I'm the guy who comes in. I'm not the original innovator. I'm the guy that comes in and innovates the, basis, the base model and comes out with the best, next best thing inside that same industry. Hmm. Um, I guess where I was going with that is I like to learn from success, not yeah. from failure. Mm-hmm. What did people do well, and how can I do it better? So, uh, have you? <laughs> this is a question that uh, one of our listeners asked. We would like us to ask. Not everyone gets it. I think you're going to get it. Have you ever gone into a place and made it rain? <laughs> uh, no, uh, I have not. But uh, you said you were just shy of flashy, so I didn't know if that yeah, was. So I don't. I don't make it rain. Okay, no popping crystal I- and just. Buying out the bar for the night. You know, when I was building my business, when I was 21 and uh, making some serious money, yes, I was at the club buying lots of champagne. I actually met my wife at a club. Um, And then uh, since I've been married for five years, I don't don't get to go to the the gentlemen's clubs or the the club anymore. And I was after a while, I was too busy building the business. And right, I'm an old I'm an old 29 year old at nine, and I wake up at six. And you're doing your you're doing your traveling though, so you're you're getting out there and and what's your favorite place? Um, to travel, yeah, I would say two places: uh, Holland, uh, Amsterdam, or mm. uh, Peru. When I went to Lima, Peru, uh, and I uh, went up to Machu Picchu and um, jumped off Machu Picchu with a parachute on my back and floated down. That was one of the most memorable things I've ever done. That's cool. And then uh, I just love Holland. I love the 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 culture there I'm a cheese freak um, I love it it's, it's an old community it's still got castles all around Holland um, Amsterdam is just a fun city you can do the lavish style you can kind of get crazy and have some fun and uh, you can also see some culture so I enjoy uh, I enjoy Europe uh, I'm trying to see more of uh, uh, I'm trying to expand my travel internationally I've been I've been making a point of it to only travel internationally for the next couple of years because I've been doing a lot of domestic and uh, South America stuff, and now I'm going overseas to. I just got back from the French Polynesia, Prague, yeah, um, and Czech Republic. So I'm going to Italy and India here that yet this year. So I'm I'm trying to explore the world, and that's uh, how you're spending your time. You th- you think mostly traveling? Yeah, okay, I cool. would say at least every six or seven weeks I'm on a vacation for one or two weeks now. Cool. So what's the single most important thing you've learned about yourself since at being a millionaire? I'm a pretty good leader. Yeah. Um, I found uh, I have a natural tendency to want to lead, um, take take the bull by the horns, and, and I got a lot of gumption. Um, uh, I'm a self starter, so I, I I didn't know this about myself. I grew up, you know, I never really had opportunities to show that. I was very uh, I was an athlete and played four sports, and I think that was something that created this. Yeah, um, I'm very competitive. Uh, I want to win. I, I want to be the best. So I strive for excellence. I strive for you know to be premium, a premium supplier or vendor. So I've learned I've learned I'm pretty good at that. I learned I can handle stress pretty good. 
I learned most importantly though, the single hand, I'm a great problem solver. I really have a knack for dissecting a problem, solving its issues, and creating a solution. Hmm. Do you read any philosophy? No, not really. Uh, you know, I guess some of the things that would be philosophic would be some of the books by Robert Greene that are my favorite. Mm -hmm. The 48 Laws of Power, The yeah. Art of Seduction, The 33 Laws of War. Some of those people might say that's philosophical. Right. But, I, I, you know, what kind of philosophy are you referring to? Just, yeah, just general, like, uh, overcoming obstacles and, be, you know, being a leader. There's, a, there's just some, sure, there's a few out there. I didn't know yeah. if you were into any of that. No, I'm not a big, uh, no, not so much. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show and talking to us about money, about your money specifically. Uh, no problem. I enjoyed this. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that's the thing. We're trying to get some uh, millionaires on. If you know any other guys that would like to be on the show to talk about this, let me know for sure. I'll certainly uh, keep that in mind and uh, pass that along. All right, excellent. Well, uh, Brenton, thanks again. And thank you guys for listening and uh, hanging out with us today. And remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer, you know where to email us, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And if you like the show, we need reviews on iTunes always or Stitcher or wherever you listen. And in fact, I'm going to read one. Uh, it's called, <laughs> it was a five-star review from Australia from Froyo, informative and entertaining. It's a short one, awesome show, informative and entertaining. So that's it. Excellent. Uh, last but not least, if you guys want to learn more about personal finance and money management, we're always writing new stuff and posting up new episodes of this show at listenmoneymatters.com and listenmoneymatters.com slash show. So, Brenton, thanks again for hanging out with us. Andrew, thanks for being on the show. And uh, we look forward to the next episode. So, later, guys. Later.